Dogs of Warcry is a new podcast from the Mortal Realms, focusing on Warcry, a fast-paced, cinematic skirmish game by Games Workshop. Join us for discussions on gameplay, rules, lore, painting, terrain building, campaigns, and events. In Episode 8, we discuss our first experiences running and playing in a narrative Warcry one-day event we called the Plunging Spires. Spoilers, the players were the best part. Welcome to the Warband. My name is Eric, or Stonemont Gamer, and answering the call with me this week is Josh, a budding soul of torment. How you doing? Excellent. Thank you, sir. And Paven, bounding back to his squig crutch. How you doing, bud? I don't know what that means, but it's great to be here. <laughs> and I use the word bud, which I hate calling other people bud. I apologize. <laughs> hey, we're all buds here. Yeah. <laughs> budding <laughs> warriors of chaos, potential Varengard yes. here. It hasn't been too long since we last recorded uh, talking about running the league and we're kind of mid-league um, again. This week we wanted to talk um, soon enough after uh, the Plunging Spires so that it was fresh in our mind to talk about it, recap, etc. Uh, before we do anything of that uh, sort, let's talk about the hobby we've been working on. What have you been working on, Josh? Since we talked about our our hobby battle. I've been working hard on uh, Varengard and working color schemes, working it out, adding some detail. Still got a lot to do, but uh, so far, so good. Very nice. Very nice. Paven, what have you been up to? So it's the end of the year, 2019. It is. Year of our Lord. Um, ball, ball. And and uh, and so I'm, what, what that means is I'm finishing up kind of my projects for the year to like start the, the new year in a clean slate. Um, and some of that means like hobby goals that I set for myself. Um, so I've been able to stay up on top of my purchases, which is the biggest one. But one of my hobby goals was to, uh, paint a, um, paint a mini from the really old backlog before I had discipline. So that's, which is the, the deep in the attic. Um, so I was able to dig up, uh, a model that I've been wanting to paint for a long time, which was Dawnlord Virus from the War Machine range. Um, and I painted him up pretty good it came out maybe a little sloppy but i'm happy with kind of how the colors worked out and like how much i've improved since last time i painted anything in that range or not in the army so that was cool uh, i also painted an eldar objective marker that had been sitting out for a while and um and then my varen guard uh just as i'm also feverishly trying to get that over to the dead uh over finished uh for our deadline um i guess we'll talk more about like kind of i guess how we're going about that later but Yep, that's that's what I'm working on. Very cool. Very cool. Awesome. Uh, I am glad that you made it out of your attic safely. Um, <laughs> feels like one of those things that you're that you're taking your life into your hands uh, to go and and dig something like that out. And it was metal, right? Yeah, a pewter. Yeah, for sure. A pewter. Cool. Um, yeah, I I can't. I I haven't done much with metal, and I almost at the point since I'm kind of new to the hobby, just the last five years, that I kind of refuse. Like, I don't have to put up with that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, that's my bias. Um, no lead poisoning for you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, I haven't. Uh, so, last week I talked about doing my purge, kind of clearing out the hobby space, um, putting things back in its place, and I almost threw away. Um, I picked up Blood Bowl when it came out a few years ago uh, with the intent of, like, getting my some of my family members or my father-in-law into 
uh, kind of miniatures gaming, uh, football equivalent kind of thing, and it didn't really happen. And so I was going to throw them out, but I thought it'd be perfect for my seven-year-old to kind of get started painting more or have more of his own paint, stuff to paint. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I gave it to him, and he the first thing he did is he wrote a complete backstory for his quarterback That's awesome. uh, before he even started painting for it. Um, and, uh, so I, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty proud of that. Uh, I didn't prompt him either. I would, I didn't lay down any like narrative rules. Hey, you got to do this. Um, <laughs> it's in the blood. It's yeah. The blood. <laughs> so, so it was, uh, just, yeah, it's what he wanted to do. So he's got a whole backstory, uh, with this guy and, um, it's his name's Arabosk, which <laughs> is a, is a ballet term. And so he obviously like earwig picked it up from his sister uh, doing ballet classes, and so he had to change it to Arabosk or something like that. So anyway, <laughs> it's funny. Uh, so there's that. I've been uh, painting a little bit on um, our buddy Tim's Terrorgeist. I had hoped to use the Plunging Spires as motivation to kind of polish that thing off. Uh, I've not painted one before, not in full, um, and so I'd, I'd done some trade with him. So I've been working on that and. Uh, really enjoying it. Um, and then working on my Varengard and like, I think I've painted some parts of it over a couple of times. Uh, not because I'm trying to perfect it, but just because I'm, I keep like randomly putting paint on it and then be like, wait, what was I thinking? So, uh, (laughs) looking forward to, uh, kind of putting some work in that over the weekend. Um, otherwise, oh, the other thing I did is I have kind of some glass shelves in my, uh, one of my storage closets. So, weird storage area that we inherited with the house. Um, but it has a couple of glass shelves and I laid out all of my favorite armies. So it's not nice. as cool as, as, uh, you know, like, uh, our buddy Aaron picked up a new, um, shelf, like Ikea glass case, uh, for oh, that something like that. Uh, I don't have anything like that. So they're behind like a closed door, but I open it up and I can see all my favorite models and the, that I've, built or painted and it feels pretty good so oh, yeah that's awesome yeah yeah there's um, something special about just looking at your minis that i yeah. I, I feel a self-conscious amount of enjoyment from <laughs> oh yeah i bust out the old ones and the boxes and stuff you know the old pewter ones and it's just, it brings back a lot of memories yeah definitely um i spent a little bit of time this is um off the war cry topic i guess is i have a, a sky elf um jukari drawn army uh, that is a proxy for um, Karadron overlords. And I've figured out my, finally figured out my what I'm going to do for my ironclad equivalent. Uh, and so usually when that kind of like aha moment comes where kind of enough pieces fit together, um, it feels pretty good and I want to get started on it right away. I'm going to use that motivation to like work on something that I don't want to work on that I want as part of my display board and, and fun. Uh, <laughs> so... That's cool. And then also got to start playing a little bit with some 3D modeling um, for kind of pieces that could go onto the ship. So um, I know, uh, Josh, you're keen on me learning a few more of those tricks. That oh, yes. Oh, yes. Too. We'll see how it goes. All part um, of my plan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then, uh, yeah, just uh, drumming on the league and, and kind of excited for to get through the holiday almost excited to get through the holidays so that i can like see a clear path to the to the next league not that i'm not excited for this one i just haven't gotten to play 
uh, this season as much. So, um, but yeah, that's me. That's me. All right. Um, why don't we go to battles in the eight points? And now, uh, Paven and I, unfortunately, uh, as I was mentioned, since we last recorded, have not gotten any games in. And believe us, we feel a lot of shame. Uh, you know, shame. We know that every single one of you is looking through your uh, speaker, your computer, your phone, right through us with with disappointment. And we promise we'll make that better. Um, so, but Josh, what have you been playing? Definitely. So I um, fortunately last Sunday I had a chance to. I've been sharing our podcast with my brother, who who uh, he lives in the the Madison area, but commutes to Milwaukee often for work. So he's been listening to the podcast and learning about the game, and we played Mordheim way back as well. You know, and he's he's got some really old Age of Sigmar models. But so so he's he's been interested, but just has never had time to learn how to play Warcry. So we finally had um, like a few hours where we got to go through a couple games of Warcry, just playing the Iron Golems and and. Uh, Untamed beasts, and he really enjoyed it. You know, and I told him, you know, I got all, I got models, I got warbands. You don't have to buy anything; just come and play. You know, so so he's excited to have you know a resource where he can just maybe just come and play the untamed beasts or play the iron golems and then the next league or event one off on, on certain days or whatnot. So definitely hoping to get him more involved and, and get him back into to gaming in some sort. He just stays too busy at the moment. Nice. But uh, Great. but we also uh, started uh, week four of the league. Handed out some um, awesome Fury and/or Raptorix art cards, um, Beast of, you know Beast of Chaos art cards to those who showed up this week. Had a few games uh, helping people with their convergences and/or denying people their convergences, but uh, but a lot of fun games had this week. So uh, it looks like uh, it was Ben and and uh, Aaron had a really tense convergence game. Aaron pulled it off, but it, it came down to the wire. And so a lot a lot of fun games this week. We'll definitely have to make sure you guys get some next week. Nice. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And we've got, uh, you know, uh, we've the next thing we're going to talk about is uh, uh, perhaps some potential for what that game could look like in the next couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's jump into a little bit of our hobby battle. We talked about last episode um, that we each we split a Varengard box uh, because the uh, Monsters and Mercenaries book has a Varengard warband. And with the Slaves to Darkness Start Collecting box coming onto pre-order last week and out this week, this upcoming weekend, um, it was a uh, obviously a perfect time with the Monsters and Mercenaries, uh, Warband, etc. to to build these up. So we each took one of the models and we swapped a few bits here and there and uh, kind of picked out our favorite stuff. And uh, our store, local Warhammer store manager, you know, being the nice meddler that he is, um, <laughs> said, hey, you guys should uh, have a little contest. Uh, and so we were like, all right, all right, let's see what we can do. So uh, as you're listening to this right now, if you go, you've got you've got three ways that you can take a look at uh, the models that uh, Pavent, Josh, and I have painted, the Varengard models. You can... Go to the Dogs of Warcry at Dogs of Warcry on Twitter, and you can see um, both the kind of a, a quick thumbnail of them with a link uh, to the website and a poll that you can vote on. You can go to the website, uh, themortalrealms.com forward slash Dogs of Warcry, and check out the latest blog post that will have uh, full pictures of the three models and a link to the Twitter. Um, 
uh, the tweet where you can vote in the poll if you have a Twitter account. Uh, if you don't have a Twitter account, you can also come to the mortalrealms.com forward slash discord and it will take you to our discord channel and you can go to the um, probably the hobby um, spot there, um, the hobby channel and uh, vote on your favorite uh, of the three um, or what was the last one? Oh, you can come to Madison, come to our Warhammer store in Fitchburg and you can vote in person. Uh, that's going to be harder for some than others. We understand. But if you're really committed uh, to, to putting your vote down and being heard, then that's what you can do. Now, uh, we put a little extra spin on it. Um, uh, we were all like, yeah, it'll be fun. It'll be a nice, wholesome game uh, for us to play. And then Pavin had an idea uh, to raise the stakes. Uh, Pavin, why don't you tell us about what uh, what we've decided to do, uh, yeah. this horrendous idea that you had. Yeah, we each decided to put in ten thousand dollars on the line. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> not, that, money. That, that, not, not money. That's not true at all. <laughs> um, uh, so we wanted to make it interesting, and we thought the the coolest way to make it interesting and have like an in-game benefit. So um, after the voting is all in, the winner is going to be joined by their winning Vanguard model for a three-way. Uh, Warcry scrum between the winner and uh, the losers, with the winner getting, uh, like I said, their 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 miniature, um, and so they will likely just be able to beat up on the losers with their uh, w- very nicely painted new mini. I think we still got to go with the the next podcast. You gotta you gotta tell the winner, call them by Lord or Captain. I think, I think that would be hilarious. Hey. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I feel like, I feel like that's the. Yeah, I feel like that's only right and proper. Um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I mean, if we're gonna go that way, we have to be on theme, and it's got to be like high overlord or right, know, yeah. exactly, exactly, tyrant. Tyrant, none of yeah, maybe not, that's it. Tyrant's better. Yeah. None of this, uh, you, your putrescence or something like that. <laughs> make it a backhanded compliment or something. Uh, that's hey, proper title. Mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe we can uh, solicit some uh, some yeah. you know, suggestions from the from the web, and, and the voting will be for one week. I don't think that was quite mentioned. So yeah, so we'll, one week we'll tally the votes, and then we'll. Although, then we'll... I think Twitter polls are only up for a day, so it'll be up for okay. a week. Um, on the Discord or in the store. Gotcha. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. Um, all right. Wait. Uh, a couple of things to add, I think. Uh, yeah. One is um, maybe you were wondering what voting criteria should they use? And the answer to that is whatever you want. Uh, it's an open competition. Best painted? Great. Miniature that speaks to you the most? Also good. Favorite podcast host? Maybe the best one. Um, but all of those are reasonable. Just have fun with it. Vote for, you know, maybe you just want to vote for Eric cause he needs a win. You know, I don't I think there's any shame in that. Well documented uh, how uh, hard it's been for me to get my convergence. So. <laughs> you do have to play games though, to, to beat your convergence. It's also true. <laughs> also, before we moved on, I haven't seen any pictures of your guys like in or like, or at least I've seen pictures I haven't, I've seen, I haven't seen for a while. What, what are you guys thinking for your Varengard? Like what, like what kind of themes are you working on? What colors have you chosen? Um, yeah, I would give the listener some like some taste. Ooh, that's a that's a good question. I've got, uh, you know, it's this it's the season uh, of of red and green, 
So I've got some variation on some reds and greens. Uh, they're a little more uh, desaturated and, and, and gory, I guess. Not gory. I'm not a gory painter. Um, but uh, I, I will say I'm struggling with what to do with it next after getting, you know, like everything blocked out, et cetera. Um, so I think I'm, I'm starting to work a little bit on, um, I guess trying to figure out how to do weathering on the armor. It's gold. So it's not like it can tarnish it too much, but, um, just trying to figure out ways to kind of add texture on like some of their skin has texture like scales and stuff. And some of it doesn't. So I'm, you know, just trying to find ways to add visual interest to those. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. Um, uh, I've never used the what is the color? Incubi Darkness. Oh yeah, yeah. Which I used on my uh, my trees uh, for uh, my Sylvaneth Wildwood um, for Warcry stuff, and I, I really liked how they turned out there. And so I tried them on here over like uh, watered down and over the gold, and it's such a great color. Um, it has just these different hints of blue and green in it in different combinations um, that just work in some really interesting ways so that's kind of the green i'm using the incubi darkness um and i'm just having a lot of fun with it as a new color in my arsenal and uh, probably something i'm going to use a lot more in the future so but yeah yep. how about you josh how's what what are you focusing on uh sure so i, I spent a while on the theme and um because i wanted to tie in to madness you know with the cypher lords and you know if i decide to expand into a a greater slaves of darkness force what would you know what Varengard ring would work best you know so based on the lore there are you know, eight different uh Varengard ranks and so uh, so soul of torment is ranked two and they're they're known for spreading terror and you know and, and tormenting as you might imagine so i figured madness is a great way to do that so i kind of stuck with that and then they have this they have a purple blue theme so it worked out well because i wanted to tie in the color shift paints that i've used on my cypher lords so it's got a Kind of a purple-blue armor with gold trim, and I added some tentacles to certain places. And uh, there's a lot of detail on these models. Uh, it's incredible. There are, there, but it, but it's certainly challenging to paint because there's so much detail and, and I've got a lot of different colors going on. So I'm trying to make sure they're all balanced well. But uh, yeah, but yeah, yeah but I've, I've got a lot of uh, shading and highlighting to do yet on some of the smaller bits. But but I think. In terms of color, I've got a, enough of a balance that, that I think it's going to work out. So nice. How about you, Paven? What kind of theme did you go with? I know when we talked about it a couple of weeks, like a few weeks, a few episodes ago, and I was asking kind of like, where would you want to go? It was kind of we weren't none of us had had kind of attached to anything yet. Have you found uh, a hook for your guy? Kind of. I have a loose kind of thought thought around my guy. Uh, the Kind of thinking is like I don't, I don't buy any bad guys that think they're bad guys. Like I don't think that's <laughs> how like humans work. I think everybody thinks they're the good guy. You know, you maybe they have to do bad things, but they're for the right reason. And I think, I mean, a lot of the mortal realms sit in that place where like the world was just a really rough place, and there's a lot of bad stuff out there. And like during the uh, you know the age of chaos, like. There was, you know, there was just like how it was. And so I think that's how my Varengard looks at himself. He is a um, a certain type of like liberator or um, 
I don't know, freedom fighter or just like a force for good and freedom in the world. Um, of course, he's a completely corrupted chaos lord um, on the path to glory, but he doesn't view himself that way. And I don't know. And I tried to express that those themes and those thoughts through my color choice. So I use a lot of like white, bright whites and golds and more traditional like honorable colors, um, you know, and I have that contrast against all of the like obvious mutation that is happening and like the kind of demonic nature of the steed. Sweet. Um, so, yeah, I didn't, I didn't do too much like conversions or any, any of that stuff. Um, but that's kind of the colors I chose white gold. I put purple in there because I thought it contrasts as well with the yellow of the gold. And it's a kind of a royal color. And I think of mm-hmm. uh, the character as kind of a, you know, a prince or a king um, in a kind of a different kind of uh, nice. political structure. Nice. Um, yeah. do, you ha- do you guys have a name yet? Uh, no. I know you do. Uh, at least unless I was jokingly. But, yeah. No, I, it was true, but I forgot. And now I remembered. <laughs> Yeah, that you can look at your tweet again. Huh? Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, this is this is Varengard Vaster the Vanquisitor. That's what it was. Yes. Uh, so he's he started off as a vanquisher of of the forces of order uh, out of uh, the mortal realms, and now he's an inquisitor, kind of sussing out, trying to find those, um, you know, like if if there are Vanguard hunters or or Sigmar sent any like special forces in, he's going to find them. He's hunting. The hunters, uh, so he's van- a vanquisitor, part vanquisher, part mm-hmm. inquisitor, all Varengard. Scourge of Fate are the hunters of Archeon, and I think they're fifth, fifth tier. Hey, don't guess. try and box me in. Oh, I'm just no, saying, it fits nicely. I, I don't have a name yet. I'll probably wait for a name generation table and uh, go for yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah. There's always a um, you know, bottle finder. <laughs> but goes, yeah. <laughs> he'll, be, he'll be axe hitter. Axe <laughs> hitter. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Uh, so vote for your favorite name. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, all right. Anything else you want to talk about in this uh, fun little... Uh, hobby battle we got going on. Uh, I think that's good for now. All right, let's jump to the war cry news. Uh, as we mentioned uh, this last weekend, the Tome of Champions came up for pre-order, and uh, there's a ton of cool stuff that gets kind of. They've been talking a little bit about stuff uh, in the community uh, articles, but the description for the Tome of Champions has a bit more information for us. Um, uh, Paven, why don't you talk us through kind of, uh, some of the things that, that we kind of found out with that, uh, with that article popping up. So the hot news everybody is talking about, or we're speculating on, we're like, what we're going to be the new warband supported. Like everybody wants to use all their collection. They want excuses to start new, uh, new, new projects and new armies. I certainly do. Uh, they revealed that 15 new Warbands were coming, but we didn't know what 15. Well, now we know. It's on the website. Uh, I'll go by faction here. Uh, Chaos gets seven new factions. Chaos, Slaves to Darkness, Skaven, Disciples of Zinch, Blades of Corn, Magakin of Nurgle, Heed Knights of Slanesh. Destruction uh, gets Ogre Maw Tribes. Death gets Ossiarch Bone Reapers. And Order gets Caradron Overlords. 
Stormcast Warrior Chamber, Stormcast Sacrosanct Chamber, Fireslayers, Sylvaneth, and Seraphon. What a great list. What are you guys most excited about? I'm going to eat everybody in the Varenspire because I'm an ogre. <laughs> no, I've been, I hope they don't play exactly like Iron Jaws do, um, just for variety and, and interest. But um, yeah, I've, I've been excited to, to put, um, so my first choice would be to put some ogres on the table. How about you? Yeah, no, I'll be, uh, the, the Caradron Overlords, obviously, my AOS army, so I'd be loving to get some of them on the table and, and uh, see how they do. Uh, but, you know, obviously with the Slaves to Mark Darkness models coming out and getting the starter box, we'll have some options there. So it'll definitely be really interesting. And, and of course, Spire Tyrants, theoretically, should be coming out and not part of this list, as well as, hopefully, the, uh, you know, the Science of Flame. But, we'll, uh, but yeah, a lot of potential. It's going to be really exciting. Haven, you got a favorite? Yeah, uh, well, the things I'm most excited about are Sylvaneth, uh, uh, from a purely, uh, I guess, practical perspective, because I've been trying to get my buddy to play Warcry for a while, but none of the miniatures he already has are, are, were, are were available for Warcry, but he does have like a sizable amount of Sylvaneth. So that's like, awesome. that's going to help me. Um, I also have like, I have a very old Warhammer 8th editions, um, Lizard, well, Lizardmen back then, Seraphim now, uh, mm-hmm. army, and I would love to crack that open and have like a small bite-sized project to work on on those guys. So that would be my yeah. second. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, more. we've got a couple of guys. Uh, you know, one of our local players, uh, Phil, who's on the uh, What the Hex podcast. You know, he plays uh, Seraphon, um, and so I think that could be a great way for him to jump in. Uh, you know, Davy from What the Hex uh, is. Keen on a beast of chaos, Aaron from our um, our league, not from the Mortal Realm stuff. His wife has a Sylvaneth um, army, and I think that'd be a great way for her to jump in. Um, so I, yeah, I'm definitely excited by what this means for kind of maybe an influx of of people or some new armies popping up in the in either mid league or next league. Mm-hmm. Definitely now. Not to derail us on this topic for too long, but something Josh said uh, sparked a, 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 I don't know, a wild speculation in, inside of me. Now, it's interesting that we didn't hear about Signs on the Flame or Spire Tyrants, which I really thought would be in this book. Do you guys think that means we're going to get another box set with those two factions as opposed to them coming out individually? Hmm. That, that was my... That was my thought early on that they saved two in order to have a new starter set. Um, and oh, so, so I think this was right first. What's, yeah. So I think because the other thing too is that they have to, they, they want to have releases ongoing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that they will have, I do think that they may come out with a new starter set with a new, either could have a new core terrain or could just have, um, you know, less terrain or something like that that's that's kind of a, another way to get in and have two armies and split it with a friend that at a lower price point but who knows what do you guys think that's a great question yeah no i didn't think about it that way um but that certainly sounds possible yeah we'll certainly have enough to chew on till then with this book um because we have other information coming out of it uh josh do you want to talk about like the other like champion mode Yes, yeah. So the champion mode sounds really interesting. Uh, it sounds like a, um, a 
kind of an advanced or more narrative way to play. And uh, Sam Pearson had mentioned in Twitter that it could be the, just like kind of the quest work individually for each warband, that one person could be playing in champion mode and the other person could be playing in the normal Warcry mode. So in champion mode, essentially you have injury tables, your models, you know, you know, can um, potentially die or, the, you know, it sounds like the trial of champions, the champion mode might be tied together. The trial of champions is kind of an expansion for the campaigns, which is injuries, death, maybe territory expansion, which could be unique territories or maybe other ways to handle dominating territories and uh, some other narrative aspects to that. So it all sounds really intriguing. I can't wait to get my hands on this book. Yeah, it does. I'm, I, I'm interested in a little bit more kind of crunch. And I think a lot of people asked for that uh, when it came out, you know, hoping it'd be like Necromunda or old Mordheim. Um, I think that can get, you have to like, I think you have to go in like, prepared for it so i'm excited to play it see how it is and then kind of mentally prepare for for adding that to a campaign uh i'm enjoying some of the freedom of like the binary of they're slain or they're not Mm -hmm. um but uh but i i think some crunch could be good paven are you excited for uh you know hobbling uh squigs and um (laughs) you know stabbers without arms yeah you know i'm always i'm always down for some corporal grot punishment um <laughs> yeah i mean i've been i mean you know we've been i think first episode of the show we were like you know one of my the the first item on my wish list was like yeah give me like a bunch of tables to roll on that's what i want <laughs> yep, um, exactly. so I, I felt like i'm getting getting my wish yeah and uh just to add to that i think you know i was talking uh on some other forums today you know people were talking about what does you know 15 more war bands mean is it going to dilute the the war cry narrative and the scene, you know, where we're at. And so I was trying to bring up, you know, kind of as we talked initially, like you said, in the first episode, we talked about how this rule set is such a, a nice, quick rule set that ideally it could be used as a skirmish base for games throughout the AOS worlds. And I think now, you know, and I kind of mentioned it on the website is that with these other war bands coming out, we have those opportunities we don't, you know, we don't have to necessarily dilute the eight points, you know, with all these war bands. You know, they're fighting there. That's great. I think we're still going to have lots of growth and depth and, and continue learning about the eight points. But I think it also gives everybody the opportunity to play a skirmish space game with this rule set anywhere in the realms and tie it into your AOS games or or other sorts of games. So I think just the potential now that we'll have with these war bands coming out is going to be great. Yeah. No, it's. I think we're it's it's due. It's you know every couple of months, seeing something new, getting the 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 league energized, getting the the community as a whole energized, giving us something to talk about on the podcast. So obviously, exactly. Um, yeah, we'll yeah. have we'll have that coming up. I don't know how you guys feel about timing, um, but like I remember when Monsters and Mercenaries came out, we're like, oh, we're excited for this, but we're still like very excited for core Warcry release uh, for. For uh, what is this book called? Tome of Champions. For Tome of Champions, I am so freaking ready for it. I'm like super <laughs> pumped. I'm ready for more content. Hungry for it. Yeah. Uh, no, I think the the expansion and the kind of the way they're expanding it is pretty cool. And I think the thing that sets Warcry off, uh, apart from maybe some other ones that uh, it 
you know, that are expanding and, or maybe feel like they're expanding too quickly is that they've really emphasized how optional it is. They've really kind of given us permission on an individual level. Um, and you know, at the, as a league organizer kind of room to say, Hey, we're going to hold off on that, or I'm personally going to hold off on that or whatever. Um, and so I think some things like that make it, I don't know, for me, just emphasize how modular it is. Um, and make it easy, I feel like, to, to, to organize that, to ease people into it, to ease myself into it. Just adding some new ways to work with what you already have, I mean, it just feels like a, a positive way to do it. Yeah, I agree. So, a couple other pieces of news. As of listening to this, this past Sunday, registration uh, has opened for Adepticon, which is a miniature hobby convention in Schaumburg, Illinois. And this is happening over the week um, of between March 25th, which is a Wednesday, through the 29th, with the, which is a Sunday. Um, and uh, on Thursday the 26th, we are hosting a Warcry narrative event featured inside the Gibbering Dome, which we've talked a little bit on the show. We talked to Paul about his setting. So you can go to themortalrealms.com forward slash the dash gibbering, G-I-B-B-E-R-I-N-G dash dome. And you can see some of the stuff that Paul has done in the past years for the gibbering dome. Read up on some of the lore and stuff that is going on there. Um, we don't have a pack up yet. We don't have um, those things available just yet. But if you're interested, please sign up. There's 24 spots. Get it fast. It may sign up quick. It may be plenty of room uh, the day of. We have no idea. Go to the to the website. Oh, so it's just www.adepticon.org. That'd be awesome. Real quick update regarding Adepticon. Ten minutes after registration opened, our event, Warcry the Gibbering Dome, was full and started a wait list. Thank you so much for everybody who signed up, who has faith in us, has excitement for this game. It's going to be a fantastic event. If you did not get a place, please go get on the wait list. It is free to do so. That way, if spots open up, you'll be the first to know. It's just amazing. Thank you again. One last thing in the news. Uh, this episode is episode eight of season one of Dogs of Warcry. Um, and uh, I haven't talked about this much. If you look at your podcast, you might see that it says, it might say season one. Um, and so uh, this is going to kind of complete the first run of episodes kind of for new players, getting started, um, running through the core stuff all the way up to kind of, we've been talking about leagues and events. And we want this to be, not the end. So this is, uh, and we're not necessarily going to be taking a break. We're just playing with this idea of seasons. And so if you're uh, ever interested in inviting somebody to play Warcry, and uh, you can say, hey, you should go listen to season one of Dogs of Warcry and and see what it's all about, etc. Um, that's just a great way of kind of directing people towards it. This next season will likely kick off um, with the Tome of Champions review. Once we've had a chance to look at it, play some stuff in it digest it a bit more um and in between uh season one and season two we might have a little bit of a surprise um and so um, i don't know paven if you want to spoil any of that or hint at any of that or just leave it uh something under their tree that they can uh unwrap early what i will say is we're gonna try something 
and it'll either work and you'll hear about it or it won't work and we'll never talk about it again. <laughs> and we'll retroactively edit it out of this episode. <laughs> I will That's go funny. into your mind and take all references of this <laughs> mystery episode. But uh, yeah, we're looking forward to uh, putting something out. It'll just be a little bit of fun. Uh, but uh, just thank you again. Um, we'll say it a million times over uh uh, on online and in our discord, etc. Uh, thank you all for jumping on, on the, the war band with us. Uh, when dogs of war cry came out, uh, taking a chance to listen to us, spend time that you could be spending doing something else. Um, and, uh, giving us a shot and the great feedback you've given us, the, the, you know, encouragement and, uh, your your views or listens or whatever it is that you give to a podcast, uh, <laughs> we just appreciate it. And and I'm gonna say too, uh, Paven and Josh, uh, you know, you two specifically been on a ton of these episodes, uh, and uh, for jumping in and putting yourselves out there for this. Um, in addition to our other you know castmates uh, with uh, in the mortal realm. So uh, thank you guys and thank you listeners. Yeah. Well, thank you. It's something awesome. You're welcome. <laughs> nice um, why don't we take a break when we come back we'll talk about the plunging spires and get into the nitty gritty we'll be right back from all of us at Dogs of War Cry happy holidays may your sacks overflow with artifacts and may your campfire be surrounded by friends and loved ones we hope you get in a lot of games or hobby and if this season isn't a particularly merry time for you Know that we are blessed to have you in this community and hope to share more of our hobby and games with you next season. Enjoy the rest of the show. Welcome back. Our victory condition this episode is to share our experiences uh, setting up and playing in the Plunging Spires Warcry narrative event. Um, and um, we just, I, I want to start off, uh, we're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, Paven is going to be asking some questions of Josh and I. Uh, tried a little bit of a interview interviewee. Um, he's going to try and get under our skin. He's going to try and get the real scoop. And our goal is to stay on target, uh, share the message, and don't get de- don't get uh, uh, nervous. So, uh, but bef- before we jump into that interview, what I want to say about the plunging spires first and foremost is that none of it is worth anything, or nothing. None of it would have been uh, half as cool. Uh, without all the participants, the players that came showed up and uh, gave their narrative selves. Uh, so if you're listening, thank you for coming out and participating. And, uh, you know, I feel like uh, my, you know, our community, our, our um, friendships grew a little bit more that day. So uh, that was really cool. Without further ado, then, Paven, you can try and crack this egg, but, uh, but I'm warning you, you're not going to get much out of me. Yeah, get get ready for some gotcha miniature news journalism. Um, (laughs) Yeah, no, uh, I'm super excited to talk to you guys about this event. I've been pretty much pumped about it since it was over, and I kind of consider this like a super fan interview. Um, And before we jump into all of my questions, I want to quickly give a quick summary of the event and what it was to provide uh, our, our audience with some context. Now, the Plunging Spires was a 16-player Warcry narrative event. Uh, it happened on a Saturday a few weeks back. Um, it was an amazing experience for myself as who was just a participant and didn't help at all. 
Um, but I, you know, brought my, brought my orcs, had a really great time. Um, they were, everybody had a fully painted war bands. Everybody had a backstory. We had eight tables, um, that changed, that had unique, you know, unique setups and terrain that changed every round. Uh, there were four rounds and in the middle, kind of the centerpiece of the whole event was a three dimensional map of the plunging spires itself that we moved that our warbands like moved across as we progressed in the campaign and each of individual spire corresponded to a different board so it was very immersive super fun um i don't want to get too much into the details because i want to hear that uh from you guys directly as the, the the runners of the event um but it had a really great narrative focus where um it had a like an overarching narrative for what is the plunging spires what is happening why is your warband there but you could also explore your individual narrative during that campaign and through your games. So um, definitely my favorite event experience I've ever had. And what to kick us off, um, Eric, I guess I'll start with you. What was the narrative behind the plunging spires? Can you tell us a story? Absolutely. Um, the story centered around a uh, number of journal pages that uh, were scattered across maybe the mortal realms and found in different bazaars or, you know, were in somebody's collection and uh, that collection changed hands through, you know, treachery or uh, whatnot. Um, the kind of narrative that I set out early, like introduced the event to um, potential players was, um, you know, maybe a, a captive getting uh, interrogated, by their captor and this journal page was the kind of center of the investigation of where did you get this? What does this mean? Um, and these journals, these journal entries, um, were created by uh, a character that I have in one of my armies, um, Admiral, uh, Sailfin. And, uh, he's part of my sky elf. I mentioned earlier in the episode, my sky elf army. And, um, just the idea that in his travels, whether that be as a, you know, expeditions hunting sky sails in the, you know, skies of Gur along the Aether pathways or trading routes or piracy or whatever he's been doing, that he keeps some sort of journal of all these places he's been in the mortal realms. And this one place, the plunging spires is this phenomenon that he doesn't quite understand. And he seems a little bit obsessed with. Um, writes all that finds, you know, puts an entry down for all these different spires that he's seen. Um, and that the, the players, their, their models, their character, their leader has obtained one of these journals and has been compelled to travel to, um, the spires to, to seek some fortune, to find the mystery, to whatever motivation that they wanted to, 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 uh, latch onto. The, so the listeners may not know, but, the, these journal pages, there are actually 16 journal pages that Eric illustrated himself and were part of the narrative of story. So they, they physically got a copy of this page, they got to pick it out, and they had it, and it's uh, you know related to the plunging spires itself. But it was illustrated and some details all filled out by Eric. So. Yeah, and uh, at the, I mean, it was a weird uh, kind of start of it is that, I mean, it all kind of started with I, I didn't set off to say, Hey, what would be a good hook of like, Hey, if I'll do that and I'll do that and I'll do that. Uh, I'm actually in the process of building a display and, uh, and, uh, kind of artifacts for this army. And one of the things I was trying to just, I was trying to draw some journal entries, 
um, in, the, in a journal that would represent uh, Sailfin's travels. And the, one of the first images I drew was this image of these tall, um, kind of needle-like uh, pillars of rock um, all standing not as one big mass, but as these individual spires. And it just kind of caught my imagination that it would look cool to play on or to have a map of or, you know, that sort of thing. And it was a journal. Like, it was like I, I just stumbled upon it and it felt like a, a really good hook to share with other people. And, and it kind of um, turned into this. So. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Um, now, before I'm going to. Josh, why help Eric do this? Like what, 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 what was, what was the catalyst for you getting involved in this project? Well, um, you know, I think, uh, I, I like working with terrain. I like working with projects and, uh, and narrative narratively, the narrative events have a, a large potential for, uh, engaging multiple people, developing stories. And, and Eric has a great way to, uh, entice people to do that, to, to draw their imagination in. And so he'd kind of described this a little bit and talked about working on it. And so I just, I can't remember if Eric had asked me or if I had just offered to help. And, uh, it's like, yeah, no, I can help you work on the terrain. I can help you paint stuff up, you know, whatever, you know, and then he, he was willing to open up and let me get more and more involved so that we could, we could make sure that it all came off as smoothly as possible. So, but yeah, it's definitely that, uh, the imagination aspect Eric is good about inspiring and drawing in imagination from other players. And, and uh, it kind of, the hook kind of caught me as he describes it. And I wanted to be a part of that. Um, and I'm super glad it did. Uh, and, and I am not good at asking for help because I often have ideas in my head that I feel like are too, too burdensome for other people. Uh, and so, uh, but I think you had offered to help with something and you said, and, and we had had some experience running a, a, our own personal league together with some Necromundas. So I knew that you were the kind of person who would get all in. Uh, and so when you offered to help, I was like, heck yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, you'd been helping out with the league and that sort of stuff. We've been doing this podcast. And so, yeah, you, I think you offered to do a couple of things and I probably, uh, loaded you up maybe a little bit more than you expected. <laughs> 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 but th- uh, after the players, I would say thank you to Josh for all of the work you did to kind of help get this across the finish line. Because uh, either I wouldn't have had enough stuff to do it or I would have been mentally broken uh, <laughs> and not been able to pull it off. So I appreciate it, Josh. <laughs> Next question. Next question. Um, why run into narrative event and what is like, do you have a larger kind of um, plan in place? Oh, that's a really good question. To the first part, why run a narrative event? Um, you know, since Age of Sigmar came out uh, in 2015, um, pretty quickly after that, I got connected with a group of other narrative players, and we uh, formed, did a WhatsApp group, um, and we came up with this idea of the NEO, the narrative event organizer, and really just around kind of supporting other narrative event organizers and thinking like a little bit theoretically of what does that mean? Um, because I think everybody does something a little bit narrative in your garage, but, um, when it came to narrative events, 
it always felt, uh, and as we kind of looked at it, it was, it's always like three or four times more work to run a narrative event than a standard kind of tournament. Um, and not because, you know, I'm not trying to say that it's better by any means, but just that there's more things to do to get people into it, to have the games linked, to tell a story, because those those materials don't exist. So for a long time, uh, I didn't run my you know narrative events. I had ideas and I shared ideas and I gave feedback on other people's events. But um, last year was my first time running a narrative event and I ran it. Uh, it again kind of came out of uh, working with Brendan uh, from uh, Cubic Shenanigans and the Milwaukee uh, crew, and he had asked for some help to run an event because they had. They run a lot of like small events there, but they're a very competitive scene and they don't, he was like, I don't know if we narrative right. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like, I was thinking of an event and, um, we kind of, there was some synergy and, and running that, et cetera. And it was, it was a fun event and everybody who attended was, it, it was really cool. Um, I was a little, I don't feel like I was able to reach as high of a narrative as I was hoping for. Um, and not to be say I was disappointed, but I just knew that there was something I, it was like when you leave something on the table, right. When you, or when you don't leave it all out on the field, something to that effect. Um, also there's some pretty huge inspirations out there in our community, um, from the realm at war guy realms at war, um, event organizers over in the UK, um, putting on these, I think they're four years now they're coming into their fifth year of running these huge narrative events 40 players um with you know the craziest um scenarios and situations and uh that sort of thing and the midwest uh of the united states is such fertile ground for gaming uh for tabletop gaming and there's so many just great people in our community here in madison in wisconsin in our you know kind of tri-state in the midwest and um, the only other narrative, big narrative event is the Holy Hammer events down in uh, Peoria, Illinois. And those are fantastic. Um, but they're just a different type of narrative than what I'm hungry for. And so my, I guess it was just one of those things where sometimes you can't not, you know, like when you get a bug in your, you know, uh, what would you call it? Be in your bonnet on something, right? And you just got to kind of work at it. You got to keep going towards it. And so, I was working on this thing. I had this idea, but I also didn't know that I could pull it off. I'm not a super organized person. Um, and I often think bigger than I, and, and don't ask for help. So, um, (laughs) the, the first part was, I, I just feel like that, um, narrative is a fantastic way to play, but it takes a lot of work. Um, but the, the, our community here deserves that kind of fun too. And I feel like, we have a pretty narrative scene as it is. So I think the first reason to run it is because you should, and uh, there should be more narrative events and this is a great place to start them. Um, to your second question is, is there a bigger plan? Um, yeah. I mean, I think some of it is that wanting to grow narrative as a whole, like for the past four or five years, uh, you know, I want to contribute to more narrative play uh, both in, you know, on one hand you get to run an event for yourself you get to run an event for other people, and you learn things that you can share with other event organizers that are trying to break into it too, or figure out how to how to tackle this or solve the puzzle or whatever. Um, and uh, so, on on a small scale, 
I want to keep growing this. We did a, you know, this was a one day 16 player. Um, you know, we, we held it at a store at a free venue, charged, you know, 10 bucks to pay for some of the terrain and, and stuff that we put together for it. You know, I, I would love to grow it to something where it was, you know, two days and, you know, more players and, um, you know, we could charge a bit more so that we could host it in a venue that was even, you know, more accommodating and maybe, um, themely or whatever. I don't know what that means, but, uh, just, I do have, I feel like there is, there's room to, and there's plans to make it, uh, go bigger and, and get more narrative and, uh, ask people to, uh, dive deeper, uh, whatever that means. So, um, yeah. Does that answer your question? It does. <laughs> does it answer too much of your question? Did I go too far? <laughs> I'll, I'll leave that to the editor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm cutting every bit of this out or I'm going to re-record my, all my answers. <laughs> post. One thing I wanted to dive a little bit deeper on with, um, was the, was the map itself. Cause it was, it was such a centerpiece for me. It was such a kind of a visual, uh, exciting visual to be a part of. And this is the kind of, I don't know, what were the dimensions, like the dimensions was like, what, it's four feet by four feet. Yeah. Uh, close to that. Of like, of actual like vertical pillars that all the war bands would move from pillar to pillar and they would actually fall apart as we, um, or fall plunge, uh, so to speak into, into the abyss. Spoilers. As, uh, sorry, go ahead. I said spoilers. They plunged. Yeah, Spires yeah. plunged. <laughs> yeah, I think we're. I think we're in the spoiler. I think we can spoil <laughs> it. Now. Yeah, we can. Um, but yeah, they put the, the spires plunged, and I'm wondering, like, what what was the generation for creating such a kind of a, a visceral and physical map for you as part of your event? Yeah, I mean, um, so I yeah, I initially had, um, created that drawing uh, that kind of kicked it off and you know when before Warcry came out i was testing ideas with taking knowing the dimensions of the boards and that they were kind of a smaller manageable size i had bought a big piece of foam and cut it out for a uh, in a not square or not rectangular shape to make it feel more organic like you're playing on top of one of these pillars and um so that kind of spurred it on a little bit more set the seeds a little bit more and then I was trying to figure out, you know, how to, how to, you know, it just, it lent itself to saying, Hey, these are spires. You should move from spire to spire. How do you map that? How do you create that? Um, last year for the, the last, the first event that I, uh, ran with, um, uh, with Brendan and help from some of the mortal realms crew was called, uh, all hollow siege. And we had built up, I think it ended up being seven and a half feet of castle wall and, and, um, and uh towers it was to try and build that much in that in the time period that i had uh i didn't get very detailed with them and this is probably where i feel like i left something i didn't put it all on the table in terms of like the final product of that castle it was styrofoam cut into blocks Uh, i used green stuff uh, or the green stuff world rollers to kind of add a texture to it painted it up washed it dry brushed it seven and a half feet of styrofoam, but it just didn't, I don't know, compared to, you know, the, the texture and terrain and detail and other terrain, it was, it wasn't that interesting. So I felt a little kind of ashamed by it. Um, but 
when I, I started taking this, this stuff out, I still have it. Right. And I started taking it out and setting it up. I'm like, could I cut it? Could I shape it? Could I turn it into these or get more organic spires? And it really started to kind of click as I had these more kind of machine cut, you know, they're blockier. They had this like, you know, uh, stonework or brickwork as if they'd kind of been man-made. Um, and it started clicking in my head that these, maybe this was part of something that was, um, built. Uh, and so it really kind of was like taking, what do I have? <laughs> what are the things I have and don't need to make? And how do I fit story around it? How does that shape the story? Um, and th- you know, the, so I had these physical things here. I had all this I had all of this foam that had been painted up from the previous year. How can I use it? How can I reuse it, repurpose it? And, uh, I wasn't sure when we made it, I, you know, was, I was one of those first things I invited Josh over. And I was like, I had it all laid out. And I was like, this is the plunging spires, you know? So my, the map was my first introduction to him of it, um, outside of a conversation. And it just felt like, I mean, I'd not seen anybody do that yet. I hadn't seen, I, I've heard of people doing map campaigns with like a 2d map, but nobody's done the 3d map yet. And I, it, it was all there. I had it. I th- felt like I could just push it a couple more steps and it would be, uh, more immersive. Uh, and so that was, that was kind of the impetus of it was, you know, you, you try and use what you have, what the resources you have of your own in your community, um, with, you know, uh, what your friends have at their disposable at their disposal and say, what can I do with this? Uh, and so it's, it's kind of just trying to be as starts with just trying to be as, um, efficient. Yeah. Resourceful. Uh, resourceful. That's the term, uh, as, as possible to, to yeah create something cool. So that's how it started. And I will say that up until even the day before, there was things I wanted to do to it that I had to say, no, you're not going to do that because there's not enough time. You got to do something else. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> what did you think of the, the map Paven? What were, what was, I think as the, as, as building it, like I liked it, but I wasn't sure what tones it would hit with people. If it was, it looked crude to them or not, or, or if it was so outside of their experience that it would, you know, meet expectations. What were, when you first saw it, what was your thoughts? Uh, it knocked me over. I was so impressed. It like, uh, you know, it had both kind of the like the physicality that was very impressive. Like, wow, it was big, but also like it had a certain amount of detail and a certain amount of like, um, like it had clouds all around the spires, and they had little tufts of grass on it. And then when like. Our, our little token miniatures were all moving across it. Oh, and it had all these connection, the connections from one spire to another. Um, I think they were all labeled too. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. I was, I was really, uh, I was incredibly impressed and like over and uh, it exceeded my expectation. Yes. Uh, I am, I am happy to hear that. Um, yeah, I mean, sometimes. It but hey, I'm asking the questions here. Oh, okay, sorry. sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean to interrupt your flow. Tell me about the tables. Um, and and uh, this is certainly a question. Josh, please jump in here. Um, mm-hmm. The process for designing so many, like I think 32 uh, tables were different table designs were needed. What was the process for getting all that done? You want to start on that, Josh? Yeah, sure. So, so Eric had the idea that, you know, that, well, it kind of goes further into the story of the punching spires that they could potentially be from 
different parts of the realms or move through the different realms. And so you could have terrain that, that kind of uh, mirrored the realms that it had passed through. And, um, and so we, he kind of started with some themes. It's like, okay, well, we'll have, we have 16 starting spots. We'll have four main realms or themes to, to work within. And, um, and so he, he was thinking, okay, well, if we can start from the outside. We're moving in, you know, towards the taller spires or across. And so he had the great idea to, okay, well, we'll start with less terrain on the outside, and then we'll add more and more terrain as we go through, as well as some of the challenge elements we had in terms of living statues or monsters, and then and then moving on to being able, trying to escape. Um, so that, that lent itself really well to having four different themes that you could you could kind of tie into each quadrant of the of the pillars but then also gradually increasing the terrain so that it felt different moved it around and it gave it a unique play style as well so I, I thought it worked out really well in terms of how we can conceptualized it yeah I it was another case of, of of looking at you know our friends our community and saying what terrain have people painted up yet mm-hmm. you know and and, mm-hmm. and had already what you know, I had some old display board stuff uh, that I was like, "Can I incorporate this from my undead army and from my um, ogre uh, army?" So how can I how can I pull these in? What do I need to create um, from that that sparsely populated first table to that densely populated last table that has the bigger pieces on it? And that's a theme of um, you know uh, some of these events. Uh, uh, you know, especially the Holy Hammer event here locally. Uh, in Illinois that uh, he puts so much time into those tables that they are the richest environments that he can come up with. And, um, you know, I, for a first year I wanted to at the very least like make, you know, take my shot at doing that with the stuff that was around. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and then from there, once you have the material, you know what you can rely on. And even then, you know, I was pushing, <laughs> I was Josh, can you paint this? Yeah, Josh, yeah. Can, you, can you paint that up? <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, it was good motivation for me to get my own <laughs> terrain oh, no space coded going along. So I was like, yeah. okay, this is great. <laughs> and then once you have, once you kind of, ha- I had that idea of like, what would I have available? It was building some stories around those. And, um, you know, uh, as you said, as, as Josh said, we had five, di- four different realms kind of thing. We had Azir, we had um, the realm of beasts, um, we had um, chaos. You know, and then we had uh, Chayish. And inside of there, uh, there were four, each player would play four games. And what I wanted there to be a potential of, um, when you play a game and you would uh, fight your opponent and you, uh, the person who would win victory would move on, to, would have the choice of which, which rope bridge they would take to the next spire. Um, and so I wanted them to have a choice and the potential of if they went, did it, if they chose a certain path that it would tell a whole story to some extent. Um, and that's probably where I, uh, so then, so the tables really influenced what that story was. Uh, if there were different scenarios, uh, it, it's one of those things you just kind of follow the trail, uh, literally <laughs> from, from, from what, what do I have to what story can that tell? So how does that affect the scenarios, et cetera? So, um, so yeah, the tables are, it was, it was cool being able to have enough terrain to, to kind of have those tables escalate. Um, mm-hmm. 
but uh, I'm glad it I'm glad it succeeded. Yeah, it was really my favorite table was um, I think the one that had the Sylvaneth Wildwoods on it because I thought oh, yeah. the breakup of the of the like organic features on like this more standard Warcry train just looked really great. So I didn't from a visual perspective that was my favorite. I know I'm, nobody asked, but I'm telling you. <laughs> no, I'm glad that was <laughs> that was probably my favorite too. Those those uh, Wildwood trees look really amazing on uh the table um yeah and change it up when we've just been dealing with dealing with ruins is you know for a lot of the early war cry so cool and this is something i want to mention that i don't know if we we covered exactly but every table configuration corresponded with a specific spire specific plunging spire so like there was you were you were moving through the spires and you moved to a very specific place every time yeah that's very cool turnout was very good um, we had people coming from all over uh, the greater Wisconsin area. Um, how, like, I this is something I have no visibility in do. Yeah. What was like marketing effort like that for to do that? Yeah, um, <laughs> that was it. Was interesting because yeah, I, I um, last year's All Hallows Siege. I can't remember. I think we'd hit ten people, maybe something like that. And I was I was really hoping uh, I. I'd, I kind of paint, painted myself into a corner uh, with this map because it was I I designed it for 16 players, mm-hmm. uh, and so I had to figure out um, how to get 16 players, and so I had this goal, um, and so I put stuff out on you know Twitter first to get kind of feedback from the greater community, I guess greater meaning just all global. Um, then it was getting feedback locally and trying to communicate locally. And I haven't done a ton of that. I'm not on Facebook a ton. And that's where a lot of our local community interacts, et cetera. Um, and so it was a lot of just trying to set up like a Facebook page or, or the uh, messenger chat groups. Yeah. yeah. Messenger, you know, kind of building off of the league that we'd started. Um, and, uh, so it started off with just trying to get awareness and then it quickly, um, well, so, and then part of that was I was, um, I wasn't sure if I sh- should keep all of these journals that I was creating a secret or share them. And at the end of the d- day, I decided, you know, it doesn't do any good for people to not see it. Excuse me. It, every bit of it that I was creating, I felt like I wanted to share it to uh with the hopes that it would encourage somebody to to check it out whether that be to come play the event or just to be inspired to create their own um and then (laughs) in the last i suppose like three weeks prior um you know we had i I think we opened up registration three weeks prior or four weeks prior i can't remember i think it was only like five or six weeks out from the event that we started it uh promoting it uh so it was you know things opened up and then it i was I was contacting everybody locally that I could think of that I knew that I was connected to on Facebook or that was in any of the chats that I was in. Uh, I was, you know, generally posting, but then, uh, as I would talk to people in the store, I would get kind of soft yeses. And then I took that as permission to hound them relentlessly, uh, <laughs> afterwards. Um, it was, it was a little bit out of my comfort zone to like get at people, check with people. Hey, were you really thinking about that? Go check out the pack. Here's the link for the website. Go sign up. Um, check it out. You know, blah 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 blah. And I, I don't think I, I bugged anybody. Like I didn't. I never got any like negative like <laughs> pushback on contacting somebody. 
but I felt like I, I, I did something different than I had the previous year and I hustled, you know? Um, and I think that talking to Brendan, talking to other TOs, like, I think that's what you do when you have an event and you're trying to sign people up, especially when you're starting something new, I think you have to hustle. I think you have to make sure people know about it. I think even if you told them one time, you need to fi- find ways to tell them two or three more times. Um, and, and it was a great way also to get a lot of the local community on my, you know, messenger. And, uh, you know, now I can contact them about league. Now I can contact them about, um, a future event. So I'm kind of, you know, with that starting to build a little bit of, of a list of, of war cry players that they're interested in narrative. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And I've heard anybody's interested in, uh, Eric's war cry player database. Josh, did, uh, did Eric have you like on the phones or running bots or any, were you part of this, uh, initiative? <laughs> no, no, he took all that on himself. So I, I did bring it up in the store to, a few times. But, do you uh, know how to run bots? Cause I can no. use that. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, no I don't. <laughs> <Next year. laughs> right. Um, so no, so he did a pretty good job about that. And, uh, yeah, I, I just kind of plugged in with, uh, yeah, so what happens if we don't have 16 people, Eric? <laughs> How are we going to handle that? That's a great follow-up question because we did have some last-minute dropouts, and I think you guys handle it really smoothly um, by, like, switch-hitting on it. But what was the strategy there? Uh, Go ahead, yeah, John. so we, we talked about a few different approaches. Um, you know, so I think, you know, Eric said, narratively, we kind of boxed ourselves into 16 players would be perfect. Um, you know, we had a couple people drop out and we had another one drop out cause they were sick. So then we, we ended up with an odd number of players and we could approach it either in, okay, well we could treat it like normal war cry game where everybody's quest is individual and then we'll just move them to a, you know, to the pillar that, you know, if they want or lost then they can still choose a different pillar to go to, even though they were on the actual physical map in the same place. But I think Eric approached it well, where we kind of just, kind of took a step out of the narrative and said, hey, would you be willing to move your model to this side of the map so that we can make sure that you pair up with somebody else and proceed this way? And everybody was up for it. It went very smoothly. And I think narratively, you know, Eric and I jumped in to play games against that that other person. Um, and, you know, they gave them the best chance to have a fun game against a variety of opponents. And I, I think that worked out well. Yeah. We needed to have an even number of people for sure. And uh, because we didn't have all the connectors um, or uh, all 16, we had a, to skew a couple of connectors and we, it was, it was cool. You know, um, there's uh, Mark, thanks to Mark for being willing to throw his iron golem someplace else. Cause there was two or three iron golems over in kind of the same part of the map. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, thanks to, to Vince who had, um, his, uh, bone splitters were, um, you know, uh, mm-hmm. orc and, and more gork and mork, uh, inspired and, could fling anywhere for, with the, with the boot of Gork or the the hand of Mork. <laughs> hand of Mork, right? Uh, so uh, people really leaned into it, and and again, I'll say is like when wherever there was something where maybe I felt like I had not fulfilled like every last T or I of what I was trying to do on something, um, the players what they brought to it more than made up for it, and probably made it better. Uh, than than me being kind of too controlling or too tight on something. So, now, Josh, you played I think three games that day. Yeah. Yep. I did. All right. Mm-hmm. 
What was your mindset going into those games? Were you just trying to like smash opponents as usual, or was it a little different? <laughs> yeah. than that kind of format? No, no, no. I was <laughs> well against you though. That was a little different, but <laughs> but in general, <laughs> in general, my my plan was just uh, you know I'm just here pitch hitting. You know, uh, you know I I tried to play as well as I could, but not super aggressively. But I just wanted, you know, and just tried to have fun, you know, just make sure that they were enjoying themselves. You know, if they, you know, if they were unfamiliar with the rules, I'd help them with the rules. Or if they wanted, you know, oh, I got to change this. Is that okay? Yeah, no problem. You know, so just, you know, having a good time, making sure people were enjoying themselves, but but making sure that, you know, I, I made them work for their, their wins. Yeah, so Yeah, I think our game was the closest game of Warcry I've ever played. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Oh, it was really setting. Oh, yeah. Unique uh, circumstances that Eric introduced that uh, yeah, we talked about last <laughs> just, podcast. Yeah, all, all, just, yeah. <laughs> um, all right, next question. I guess I want to like, roll roll back a little bit, like the morning of. What was the, your guest prep process, or maybe the night before? Kind of yeah. like what are the what are the things people should keep in mind? How was you know? Give us a peek uh, behind there. So the night before, uh, we went to the venue, which was one of our local game shops. Uh, that has a lot of space uh, on on Saturday mornings and and through the day, and um, set up the map first. No, we did. Did we set up the map first? No, we couldn't get to the map first. Right, um, right. Yeah. So we worked on some of the labels and some other stuff, and then yep. yeah, yeah. So the map. so we still had some of the map. The map needed assembly, and I, uh, in addition to creating like, um, you know, uh, these very fine, you know, these defined sixteen, you know, trails or eight stories you know 32 maps etc like it had a very specific way it needed to be laid out um so we spent time labeling the maps we get all got everything kind of over to the store and then start started putting things together assembling getting it together um and then we got to to put up the tables with the the terrain and set up the first boards uh for the first uh round and put the kind of organize the rest of the terrain underneath the map table you know ready to go you know, when we needed to go grab it and set up the tables again, uh, making sure we had a registration. Now I didn't have all my printouts ready yet. And so that was, <laughs> that was the next, after we got done there, that was a few more hours of just like getting things printed off and, and making sure I had things. Um, and I mean, I tend, I tend to be a little bit last minute. Um, and, and part of that is just cause I've, I've got, you know, family and I've got, uh, you know, a couple of businesses that I'm involved in, um, and so it's just, I don't know the nature of it. I've always got a lot of stuff going on. So, uh, you know, yeah. but, but even, even though Eric says that we did, there were several times, like the first time he had me come over and we talked through things. We did a lot of brainstorming, talked about the design, the pillars, how it would work, how the missions, the tables. And then, uh, he started preparing an Excel sheet where he kind of outlined, okay, these are kind of the themes we're looking at. This is kind of the terrain I think we have. And, you know, and as we continue to flush ideas out, you know, he would be working on the on the, the journal pages and the narratives, and then I could I could jump in and say, okay, well, I'll, I'll pick out the you know the artifacts for these particular places that you know match the flavor, and okay, now we're you know you've got certain scenarios and, and victory conditions in mind for the last for the last table, and I'll go through and I'll pick some out for the for the others that are all match play. So so we kind of worked on things in progress, and at the same time worked on our terrain and other things at that at you know in our in our personal spaces. But we did have one big night where we kind of got together, brought all the terrain, and um, and he was smart. He took pictures. We set up every table, every 32 distinct boards, and took a picture of that exact layout so that the day of, 
we had those pictures handy and said, okay, yep, that's the second round. That That's for chaos. This is how I'm setting up this table. And it made it very efficient for that 30-round or 30-minute break we had in between each table setup. So definitely some prepared planning ahead of that made that much more efficient on the day of the event. And I am happy that it felt prepared and felt planned and felt smooth for <laughs> for everyone. And that's, I mean, and to some extent, that's as long as you're not inconveniencing them or mm-hmm. like causing them to wait and causing them to kind of hold for you to come up with something or do something um, like they'll, they'll give you some, like there was still certainly a little bit of downtime for players who got done with games faster. But mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. my hope was that I didn't want any of my chaos to feel chaotic to them. Right. Um, so uh, I'm glad to hear that it felt smooth and organized. <laughs> and uh, and a quick shout out to Aaron, who's one of the Mortal Realms uh, podcasters as well. He he came, hung out for several hours, and helped us kind of get some things labeled and and prepared. You know, getting some lunch stuff organized. Super helpful to have him there. I just want to make sure people were aware that we had another person from the team that came in and and yeah helped make things more smoothly. Yeah, so. Josh, you specifically mem- mentioned like. Um, the scenarios and artifacts and flushing those out. And we had unique scenarios for all the boards and all the rounds. Mm-hmm. Um, we also had some things that were, we had, we had both like match play, which you mentioned kind of deployments and things like that. But we also had some more off the wall things Were all the crazy ideas, Eric and all the balanced ideas, Josh, or how did, how was that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd say we, we both had the idea that, okay, for this type of event, most of the missions should be match play and, you know, kind of standard. So the people, you know, had a an equivalent opportunity to win or lose. Uh, for the very last scenario, since you were escaping the, the, the pillars at that point in time, Eric had, okay, this is, this is we're going to kind of combine these two victory conditions. They've got to get off, and the most person who gets off is going to win. So that one was kind of tailored. And then, and then Eric had his, his uh, own... Uh, ideas for a couple of those particular scenarios, like the one that we ended up playing. <laughs> so, yeah, I, yeah. So it's yeah. Uh, particular highlights for me were two scenarios I played. One was I think we mentioned before, where on a you rolled for every one of your fighters every activation, and on a one they were hallucinating, and your opponent got to move. <laughs> <laughs> that one didn't. That was a fun game, but it didn't always feel great. Um, and then the other the other game was an objective slash treasure slash thrall <laughs> yes. that <laughs> so, we, so I'm like what that was apparently was like a monster that would jump around to different fighters. Uh, supposedly damaging them then, but we didn't know that rule. Um, that was also that was also a, a wacky game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it was funny because yeah, I mean, I think it might catch some off guard to 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 hear that. Like I I'm a I love narrative gaming, but I like playing tactically, and I and I want a narrative event to be something where the person who wants to just immerse themselves in their character, win or lose, like our our buddy Paul uh, does, like he. He just wants to be narrative and make narrative decisions, whether they're uh, advantageous to winning or not. And you have other players, um, you know, like our, our buddy Mitchie, who is um, he likes to win tournaments or he likes to, to play hard. And I want everybody to be welcome at an event. And so um, I'm not anti-competitive or anti-tactical. What the way, um, and we can talk about kind of how we incentivize the type of play and et cetera. Uh, I'm sure there will be questions on that. But um, 
I, yeah, I mean, I felt from a standpoint of like, we still are pretty new to Warcry. We are not experts on how this game plays or what scenarios work well, where, which warbands were going to be there, etc. And so starting off kind of, if, if you start off with the match play stuff, if, if I, if you know where he deploys, you know where you deploy. And when you're sitting down to tackle a bunch of uh, concepts coming in or the story that I was just telling in between, like having something that was easy to jump into, like that wasn't too complex or quirky uh, was part of the goal. Um, and then, um, and then from there, find a couple of ways to experiment. Uh, and, uh, Paven lent me his, uh, his war cry trainer, your, your Azerite ruin terrain, plus your converted, um, loon shrine that we've talked about on the podcast before. And for one of the, one of the, the stories and uh, that definitely inspired me to say, well, what would be going on here? And I wanted to play around with some mechanics. I wanted to play around with some things. Like, uh, again, Warcry does a great job of being modular. There's certain things that you know that if that are going to um, happen, and if you just tweak them in little ways, um, it it changes. The, it can make big changes to the games. And so in, in the case of the Thrall, when you talked about it, I was like, well, what if there was a chance that you couldn't move your own uh, and you had to treat everything on the board like a Thrall where you'd roll and on a certain uh, dice up, you treat it normal, but there was a chance that um, that that would fail, and your your opponent would get a chance to 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 screw you over, um, but not too much. Like um, we instead of getting to a full action with them, they just got to make one action with that activation. Um, and I mean, to me, it was obvious that there would be a hazy cloud of spores. Uh, around that loon shrine messing people up even in in narrative play like again i think we're kind of new to narrative play in our area and um an event play and so some of it is me being a little bit cautious or um, not giving people too much quirky to wrestle with we had two players that had never played a war cry game before uh and by the end of the day they felt fluent um and so that's just after four games and so I think that's the strength, and I, I didn't want to mess with it too much, except for the the tables. And Paven, you just happened to stick on that uh, that series of tables, uh, so you got both. You got <laughs> yeah. the brunt of both of those. Yeah, I played on the same table with my set of terrain that whole event. Yeah, you got a whole story. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, consistent narrative experience. Um, <laughs> guys, tell me about awards. Uh, my my number one with a narrative event is that there's no podium, there's no there's no prize at the end of the tunnel for winning all your games. I don't ever want to signal that that's the most important part of a narrative event. Even in the spire, there was the tallest center spire that had a narrative to it, but there was also edge spires like that would weave off to the side, and they had a narrative to it. And I didn't want everybody to think that the only way to win or to succeed or to have fun at this event was to just go towards the middle spire. I I wanted to encourage exploration. I wanted to encourage kind of choice and and choose your own adventure, where you go and what you experience. Um, So first and foremost, kind of taking podium off of there, I think we ended up with eight awards. Mm -hmm. So we had this idea where... You know, they'd be achievement awards of some sort. Found some files and I 3D printed them, kind of combined some crystals to make them look like the pillars themselves, the spires. And then we put them in this cauldron and then uh, put them on a wooden base. And so it kind of looked like a nice little trophy 
where the plunging spires are sitting in this golden cauldron. And additionally, we magnetize it so that you could remove the cauldron and spires to use as an objective in a game or whatnot. Or you could leave it on the bigger base that had the title, the name on it. And so we thought it would be a fun, memorable experience for anybody who won that particular achievement reward. And we made sure that anybody who had won an, an achievement reward didn't get a second one for a different category. So we tried to spread it around as many people as possible. Yeah, yeah. No, that was cool. And thank you again, Josh, for, for helping me figure that out. Here were the different awards, and we associated uh, titles with these, so as as you do. But uh, so headhunter, um, and I don't this. I did this last year, and this is another thing that I didn't do this year. I didn't. I don't think I got these recorded down anywhere. Uh, so I have to rely on everyone who got the award to uh, message me back and let me know which award you got. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but the Headhunter Award, I, so I apologize. I wish I was able to kind of call out who got each of these, um, was the most leaders out of action. So kind of you want – one of the things you want to encourage is that going up against the, your opponent's leader, you know, getting that heroic, um, you know, uh, main boss uh, matchup. Uh, we have Life Stealer, caused the most slain models. Now, this one – uh, becoming slain is a little bit more random, um, and part of one of the objectives we we uh, the standard roster for a Warcry League is twenty players on your or fighters on your roster, and then you pick a, an amount of those off to put on the table uh, depending on the points you can put on the table, uh, and so we shrunk that down to to fifteen or sixteen, 15, uh, yeah, with the- uh, and so this is one of those weird things where it was. Uh, it was 16 players. It was on the 16th, and there were 16 on their roster. <laughs> I get a little hung up on that sort of thing sometimes uh, when it's available. But um, so we thought that would feel a little bit uh, like tighter. Like we, the, the one of the things we've recognized over the league is that the roster doesn't really feel like it matters that much. It doesn't. Um, it's not a resource. So I was trying to make it a resource that was depletable, and so amount of slain models could deplete that. They wouldn't be replenished. Um, so life stealer was the most caused the most slain models. Uh, we can talk about how that went later. Uh, forsaken, uh, was had the most models slain. So more, you lost the most models from being slain through the aftermath phase. Then there was the favored, the most glory. This was kind of like similar to a podium. Like at the end of the day, you won the most games and you got the most glory. Part of our goal, I think initially was that this would have a way to spend money like, or spend glory like to add more models to your warband on the table, mm-hmm. which would mean you're you're using your resource and you wouldn't have that at the end and could be a gamble. But it didn't quite work that way. So it was one yeah. of those things that needs a tweak. Uh, mm-hmm. Perfect Stroke, uh, Best Painted Warband, uh, which was uh, won by um, our very own Paven. Um, so congratulations on that one, man. How did you? How did that go for you? Uh, I have a sneaking suspicion. I guess this is my chance to ask a question. Did you make sure that only one person could win each award? Yes. Okay, because I think there was a better painted warband on 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 the on the on the stage, but they had already won a different award. So I was like, ah, did they just give it to me? So that's that was always in the back of my mind. Confirmed, true. All right, you earned it. You you did earn it. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so both both is true. There there was um, the painting 
uh, there was a lot of really great paint on the tables there and, and looking at that. And, uh, it was not, it was not a easy decision on, on paint. And so there were a number of options for us and, and we were pouring over it and trying to figure out what do we do on here? And, and having that rule of everyone get some actually gave us an out <laughs> or, or made mm-hmm. the, you know, helped us make the decision in that having that thing there. But, uh, um, yep. yeah, you absolutely, you, you absolutely, uh, your models are striking. So, uh, mm-hmm. they're very cool. So, um, the one you're referring to, uh, is the best themed warband and display, uh, which is a, um, a group vote. So the, the players voted for this. So there's a bit of, um, and so it could be based on paint. It could be based on how the cool display and all those kind of, kind of stuff. Um, and our, and our buddy Brandon, um, uh, beard battered on Twitter and in our discord channel, uh, took that one. Um, and there was just a lot of great support for that one. There's a lot of great support for a number of other ones as well. So there's, um, the display part is something that again, experimenting with not everybody was able to pull together, um, you know, the display that they wish they had time for. Um, but displays are part of other events we go to and, and with Warcry, there's so few models trying to figure out what's a good amount or a good size or whatever. So excited to play in the space a little bit further. Um, but that one went out there. Uh, Tailweaver, the most committed to the narrative. Uh, this award went to our local player, Vince, um, who played the, the Bone Splitters. And he was just uh, 100% like, hey, what decision am I going to make? What direction am I going to go? Well, what would a Bone Splitter do? And, uh, you know, he, he brought his theme. And, and as he was talking across the table, uh, kind of brought that along the way. So really enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was a good spread of narrative. Motor players definitely, so it was fun. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, Game Sum was also um, uh, one of the awards, which is the what are the values of that we want in playing games uh, and uh, rolling dice and that sort of thing. Um, and I'm trying to remember this one. I think we had a. There's a number of these where we had some ties uh, because yeah, it's yeah. This players. one, this was tough because we we had people vote since there were four games. We had people kind of rank their their most fun games or who they enjoyed playing the most and ranked one through four and uh you know ranks one were, were you know we had several ties and then we had, so we had to work down okay so who who of the number ones got were also voted two and then that had to go down to three and so i mean it, it sounded like everybody had a really good time playing each other which was great but it did make that that particular award tricky <laughs> it did it did so some of that needs ironing out but that that rounded off kind of um you know, here in the Midwest, we like some of these scores around, you know, uh, kind of the, the character and the behavior that, that we enjoy when we're going to travel or pay to go to an event. And so we definitely, you know, want to encourage that, um, you know, when people are coming to the event that they're, that they're, they're have playing great games or, or providing good games to their opponents as a, as a goal. So all of these things just, you know, there's some that were like based on how you played the game and what happened in the game. And there's some outside of that that had to do with just enriching the experience. So that was some of the philosophy. All right. I want to finish up talking about kind of lessons learned takeaways and where we go from here. Uh, but before I forget, I want to talk about the end of the event. Um, and so I guess I'll, I kind of the way I want to do it is I'll explain kind of how it was going. Um, uh, and what, what it was feeling like to participate. And then Eric, you can probably talk about the, um, the kind of the finale. Oh yeah. So, I am. I am excited to hear this. I, 
I wasn't. I didn't realize I was going to get this insider point of view. So I am. Yeah, I'm all yours. <laughs> all right. Okay. <laughs> for so better or for worse. Um, everybody plays a final match and it's kind of a get to the realm gate kind of final where everybody's trying to get their guys off the table. All the the spires have been falling this whole event and we're on the last one. There's no more to go to plunging. We don't want to plunge. Um, so, uh, it's a get to the realm gate scenario. After that scenario, the win, the winners, we kind of go around, talk about the winners. Um, and they are almost always put into, if you get through the realm gate, you get put in a location that your warband would want to be. Um, so, for example, like my orcs won their last game, and so they made it through a realm gate, and they're kind of on a on a quest to. Well, uh, my my war boss is trying to kill a specific elf, uh, actually Sailfin, but he wasn't there. But they end up in Haish, and they are able to, and they, so they have a lot of elves to deal with there, and so they're very very happy. Punch at a, at a good old uh, squishy uh, punch up, and that, that was kind of the, the same for everybody. But like more interesting, more exciting are the people that didn't make it through the realm gate, and all these fire spires are going down, and like you hear them like clunk 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 clunk, clunk very tense moment, and you're like. Oh man, are these? Am I going to watch all these warbands die? They all have names and stuff, and that's certainly the feeling, especially because um, before before they 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 completely disappear in the mist. Eric gives everybody an out that is like, "Hey, does your warband have a reason for leaving?" And I think a lot of people took the ejector seat. Like, I mean, the ghosts flew away because they're ghosts, so like, yeah, they're fine. Uh, that makes sense, <laughs> and I think some other people like uh, were able to magic their way out through a through a um, a gnaw hole or a portal or through the d- divine inner like you know you got a big swift kick from Gork and they punt you got punted back to the realm of beasts or or whatever your your chosen exit was. Um, and I think that was a really great to increase the tension and a lot of people just mm-hmm. lost control over their warband. Um, but. I know if I was going down, I'm like, I'm riding this baby all the way to down. I want to see what happens. Like, are we all eaten by a monster? Are we all, like, you know, just grinded up in the gears? Are we all just plunging to our death? Are we all sucked into the realm of chaos? Could be anything. It's, you know, it's more, it's the mortal realms. Um, and so we slowly sink into the mist. And then what happens, Eric? I don't know if everyone knew that there'd be some sort of mystery here or if uh, how many of these trails or stories, uh, you know, built it up. I tried to make it clear that there's a there were some oddities about these things and that none of them fell over like there were some of them that were like pockmarked and just like half destroyed but they're still standing um you know why why wouldn't they have you know tipped over or um there's some things that looked older out of place there's stuff that from different you know from different realms and I would say there's a there's a bit of a giant MacGuffin here where the spires clicked and clocked uh, through with gears and stuff down into the darkness into this mist, um, likely somewhere into the void in between or somewhere else, um, and and they shifted to kind of direction or angle or uh, dimension or something and then started uh, lifting back up, and everyone who was riding on a spire going down, uh, ended up riding it back up and it, uh, brought them to kind of when it, when it finished and they looked out over the horizon, they saw that they had been added. Their spire had been added to a bunch of spires that had already kind of arrived. And you might say that the plunging spires was at the end of a cycle of some sort. The spires that had been there had, um, maybe a century, who knows, uh, some period of time had been there and like slowly, uh, plunging down. 
this location, finally everything plunged. And as far as the players know, have come up in a new location and, you know, kind of looked out and seen, you know, new opportunity, new locations, stuff like that. Tried not to answer too much. Uh, Games Workshop, some of my favorite stuff is when they kind of give you breadcrumbs and they let your imagination go with it. Yeah, so I'll leave it there. I can talk, talk more about it. But the, at the end of it, those who rode the, the pillars all the way down and were, uh, were I guess, brave or committed to that part of the story, uh, not to diminish like uh, Vince getting his, uh, his bone splitters, yeah, punted back to Gurr. Um, which, uh, yeah, fine. You know, give them that autonomy to tell the story. Trust them to come up with something that, I mean, you remembered so many of those pavements. So, I mean, it's like, mm-hmm. that's awesome. Uh, but yeah, those who rode it all the way down, uh, who trusted that there was going to be something cool at the other end, I wanted to just give them kind of a start of something new. And to add to that, uh, you know, part of the discussions throughout preparations, you know, Eric had also mentioned that, you know, something like this, where it's, you know, where the, the terrain, the, the places you play disappears and pops up in a different realm also makes it a replayable experience experience for other people to in other places to potentially bring up and um, and use or that we could even replay it locally and you could put in new realms. It's popped up in a new realm with new territory, new terrain pieces, new warbands. And so you can kind of get that ongoing story with this particular unique location. So that, that was also one consideration that he had had during the development part. Uh, Josh was the only one I had told that to. <laughs> you don't want to jinx it and say, hey, this is going to be so awesome that people are going to want to play it again. Right. Um, right. Paven, what, was, that, was there too much story there? Was there not enough story there? It was, yeah, it was uh, such an unexpected treat. I, was not, I, was not, uh, I wasn't really planning to hear like a kind of a, a kind of a universe spanning uh, like narrative that we got. And I was really enjoyed it. Um, especially cause I don't think you mentioned this, but it was, it had like a certain metaphysical property of like the spires maybe are part of the mechanisms, the internal mechanisms that hold the realms together or are part of kind of some like cosmic, um, uh, a, a plan or balancing or filtering of the magics, you know, unclear, but it was, it was nice to be able to like inspire even more kind of imagination about like how, you know, the moral realms work. Cause there's so much space there. And it was really cool to, I think I very, very much enjoyed it. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. I, I tried yeah, those, those little pieces where you're like, Hey, can I make this make sense, but not have to make sense? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, oh yeah, uh, it was certainly grade A uh, Age of Sigmar nonsense. Um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> perfect. <laughs> Let's stamp that. <laughs> it was one of those things where, as you're building it, like you can sometimes be too close to it uh, to know whether or not things are coming across. Right. At some point, you have to step back and go, like, nobody might ever see this, and so don't get too hung up on it. Right. Somebody may not connect these dots, or. Maybe they I I typed that font in such a illegible way that uh, they won't read that clue that I put on that page. I wasn't um, going to mention the font. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, an elf wrote it, so I mean, don't blame me. Um, at some point, like you have to let go of it. Hope that you put enough in that people at least see that there's effort there. I guess see that you poured some passion into it. Uh, and hope that that translates into uh, enough of an experience different from what they're used to playing. 
So, yeah, uh, I'm glad it worked for you. And the, uh, a few other people we got feedback from, too. So, you know, so oh, yeah, yeah, good. yeah. That's good. <laughs> people have very – I mean, there's a lot of smiles on people's faces. And that's – at the end of the day, that's – that's what you're you're hoping for is that yeah. people left that day with a smile on their face and and ready to hobby some more, ready to play some more games, uh, ready to share their experience with other people, and uh, come back the next time. That is a uh, great segue into Max's question. Um, like, what are your takeaways? What did you learn from the event? What was the big surprise? What would you do differently next time? The things that I would take away is that one, every person that shows up is a valuable contributor collaborator for the story, the narrative. And that's the players and that's, you know, Josh and that's, you know, support people like, you know, Aaron coming in and feeling like he's like, I didn't do anything. I just wrote some things down. I'm like that, like having enough people to support like different things allows the kind of the, the realm master, the game master to kind of, uh, respond to people and give them an experience. So that's one thing that I'll probably hope to do next year is, is I need to get more um, uh, courageous in asking for help um, to get a couple more people, maybe one more or two more to help with a few things on the day of, like if I can have enough planned or if they can help with plan and take ownership of some things. Yeah. I, I, I was the primary narrator, but this wouldn't have happened without Josh. So I don't, I don't want to sit here and go like, like, hey, it's all, you know, that it doesn't matter how much of it I thought of. Like, it wouldn't have happened if Josh hadn't helped me out, right? Um, so get more people invested. Let them take on maybe, you know, I can say, hey, uh, Josh, you get you get the realm of chaos. Write up some stories or or figure out what you want to put on the tables and and what stories are going to go there and what scenarios you want to put there. And, and maybe engage some different people in some uh, different parts of creation and, and introduce um, – introduce more people to parts of running an event so that maybe some, you know, uh, I know Josh has been a part of other event planning and, and could easily run an event, um, uh, you know, uh, take lead on an event. And there's other people I, I bet who could, if they just kind of got to see the way a little bit. Um, uh, so some of it is just kind of building up more people around you that are playing and you start with one experience and then you move to the next and you, you grow and you keep improving. Not, you know, yeah, the gameplay and that sort of stuff, but more community. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the thing that I regret the most from this event was not having the time to take more photos and share more stories of what was happening as it was happening. Um, and some of that is pressure from, you know, my connection to a lot of the, those other events where they're constantly putting out, um, they've got, you know, a live feed basically of their event or not a live feed, but like a live blogging of their event that they have going on. And you get to see so much of it and, and participate in some aspect that I wanted that too. And I didn't quite achieve that. Um, even though I had designed some things to be easier for that, um, it'll have to be kind of improvements for the next time um I'll, i've got another one but josh is there anything that you would focus on or anything that you think kind of takeaways that you had uh yeah i think um more time perhaps you know i, I felt like like you said we kind of started advertising it was like maybe five weeks out and um you had been working on some things before then but we, we started really kind of 
placing, you know, getting things together and working on the physical aspects, you know, maybe in the last three weeks of it. So I think definitely, okay, now we know we want to do something. We can plan further ahead, prepare so that it doesn't feel as hectic, especially, you know, like the night before where you're going out and you're still printing off stuff, making copies of things. You know, that's not something you want to burden somebody with. So I definitely think if we plan further ahead next time, it would be easier and, and everybody involved. And um, I think one of the, the unique things that's come out of this, obviously, is we had some other players come in from, from outside the Madison area. And they're, they're, they were inspired and they're thinking about running a Warcrive event of, of some sort. And they've, they've been willing to kind of share their ideas and let, let Eric and I kind of help brainstorm and what, what we thought worked well, what we think might work well. And so I think, you know, we've been growing the community and, and like, you know, Eric talks about with the Neo group is sharing those ideas and what worked well and what didn't so that other people feel empowered to run events and share that with other people. And then it just continues, you know, to build upon each other. So I think that's going to be great. Hopefully that's going to turn out to something wonderful uh, sometime next year. And, um, and, you know, I think that's, that's good motivation to keep doing the kind of things that we're doing. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I think my last piece of takeaway and, and it's, it's just more, um, affirmed from the league stuff is that some of the best things you can do is take advantage of the momentum. And so like for us, like running another event soon is going to be better than if we wait another year. Um, in order to kind of just build momentum and to get more people coming to things or to have more people um, trust that it's going to be worth the time um, to come out and, and participate. So, so I think momentum is the other thing is and, and something, and to, I guess that piggybacks off of what Josh was saying too, is like, you do need a little bit more time sometimes to get everything done. But I think too, there's probably a, well, We'll test the theory out. Is there is there a too far ahead where you you, know, you <laughs> right. run out of steam before you get there? Yeah, um, no, yeah. There's definitely a sweet spot somewhere in between. <laughs> yeah. Second to last word, uh, I want to ask you guys both. Um, I think Josh then Eric. What was your favorite moment of the day? Um, you know, actually, I think I think the the favorite parts I had throughout the day were um, people getting involved in the story and and kind of sharing tidbits of why their war band was on a certain spire or not and what they were going to do. And, and, um, you know, I, I, I had not been, uh, expecting Eric to kind of do a, uh, game master narrative ending. You know, he, he, he hadn't really shared that with me and I think it was somewhat <laughs> spontaneous. <laughs> so I think, I think I really enjoyed seeing how he, integrated what other people were doing and you know, how they escaped or not and, and, and kind of rolled that in to you know to the ending and I, I think he did a good job kind of weaving that story and i think it was fun to watch how other people fed and built that story together it was it was really cool awesome the first big moment for me was everybody arriving and kind of the gathering of the war bands uh, and placing their models on the, the map um, because <laughs> I wasn't sure if it would be awkward or weird or, or what. And, and everybody was, was there for it. Like everybody was like ready to put their stuff on the map. And, and that felt good. Like that I was fulfilling the first part of what everybody had been expecting. And then 
the second moment was was the ending um and some of that is is completion some of that is wrapping up some of that is exhaustion um uh but but i had you know like every step of the way the story was unfolding for me right of the planning and of the preparation and i had the ideas of what what this thing was and while i was trying to re, you know share as much as i could i did want to keep some things in my pocket uh, <laughs> uh even from josh because i feel like he's put in this work and i wanted to be able to, him to have a surprise as well right part of being a game master is that you don't know what you're you know there's an improv there i knew what was going to happen with the, the spires plunging i didn't know who was going to be victorious i didn't i tried not to while I planned out a ton of things to the T, I didn't try and plan out exactly where each of those wor- those realm gates was going to go. Uh, I tried to come up with something that was flavorful for them. Part of the reason why I was like okay to like let people like jump off at any time was, um, I guess, to just I guess give them that choice and giving the people that stuck a little bit more like, you know, or test the you know what do they think is going to happen. Um, right. But then, it, yeah, but it was that final moment closing up. I definitely felt like people resonated with the story at the end. And that was, that was a fantastic moment feeling like everybody felt satisfied, um, with kind of what happened to their models. And I didn't have to crush anybody. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. No dreams are crushed. No, (laughs) but yeah, so those are, if I may take two, I'll take two. All right. Last question, uh, before we wrap it all up. Uh, we've talked about Adept of a Con a couple times, as that's the next uh, event you all are putting on. Can you give us a little teaser to whet our appetites for that event? Ooh. Uh, nope. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks for, thanks for coming in for the interview. Uh, I'll see you next month. <laughs> no, the truth, the truth is that Eric and I um, need to brainstorm and come up with some ideas. So we, we had, we, we each have. I think some general concepts, you know, coming away from the, the plunging spires and, um, but you know, now we have access to the Paul's extensive terrain collection for this particular event. We haven't yet sat down and talked about, okay, what kind of story do we want to weave for this particular event in this location? And so that's something we're still developing, but we'll, we'll definitely be able to share more about that as we, as we progress. Yeah. The gibbering dome is this location that, even before um, we learned about Shadespire uh, and before we learned about, you know, where Slanesh had been captured in between Ulgu and Hish, we, you know, had some inklings that there were realms between realms. And so the Gibbering Dome is this um, palatial, expansive, like, city building, you know, like all good settings, right? It's got the mysteries. It's got treasures it's got uh ancient civilizations and the remnants of that and uh there's a spider theme in this because paul created it and so there's some <laughs> aspects of of these webs that that steal memories and hold memories and um you know this this spa- place of knowledge um and uh and so that's it's just kind of, it's kind of this place um that is full of wonder and paul has built this terrain that is modular and it is it is a more epic location of terrain than I think I've ever seen. Even, um, even the the stuff that uh, Steve Herner builds 
doesn't feel as big and expansive as this does because of the height he creates uh, with this stuff. So um, it is this kind of pocket city realm dimension uh, location uh, that uh, you can find out more about um, on uh, themortalrealms.com forward slash the dash gibbering dash dome. Uh, and there's some audio there. There's some write-ups there, and you can learn a little bit more about this location that we're going to be playing Warcry in on this awesome terrain. Well, that's it for my questions. Uh, thanks for so much for you guys coming on the show. Uh, I uh, Again, thanks for the, the, the campaign. I had a super good time. Uh, I can't wait for the next one. And, uh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> thanks for going on the show guys yeah yeah thanks for thanks for taking on the the, the task of interviewer that's not yeah. always easy i hope to have you guys back again um <laughs> was, right. it was definitely a, a fun experience and a, uh, it's, it's it's nice to share and talk about it and hopefully other people be inspired and, and share ideas as well so continue to continue to do some fun events and, and things like that for Warcry. Definitely looking forward to it. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We're uh, going to be ending our first season here with this episode. Again, we will be back for season two, probably in the new year with Tome of Champions, and we might have a little surprise for you uh, in between. Unless we don't, then you didn't. <laughs> but then we'll remove this message. Yes. <laughs> uh, adios. <laughs> It's time to put a muzzle on this episode. If it was a good, good dog, support the show with a positive review on iTunes, sharing it with friends, joining us for hobby discussions at themotorrealms.com forward slash discord, or leave a tip at themotorrealms.com forward slash Patreon. More content is available at themotorrealms.com and on Twitter at Dogs of Warcry. Warcry.